0: Well, today is Mother's Day, and so I want to celebrate Mother's Day by looking at one of my very favorite moms in Scripture. That's saying a lot, by the way. There are a lot of really amazing women in the Bible, a lot of really amazing moms, but this one has a story that teaches us, in a sense, the lesson you just sang. The moral of the story that I want you to see today is this, that motherhood is hard. Now I'm going to stop for a second and just acknowledge that you didn't need to come to church to know that. You didn't. You don't need this particular mom through her life lessons to teach you that motherhood is hard. You figured that out on like day three of your first pregnancy. You woke up sick and you thought, man, this is going to be tough at times. And it's turned out a lot harder than you thought, hasn't it? At least in seasons. All right, so that's not the end of the statement. The statement is that motherhood is hard, but through faith in Jesus Christ, the one crucified to set you free, who spared nothing for you, and who loved you that much. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to God, the Heavenly Father, a God who redeems not just some of the hardships of motherhood, not just most of the hardships of motherhood, but absolutely every single one of the hardships of motherhood. Now, He does it in His timing. He does it in His way, but He does it and on top of that, even though a lot of times it seems like He's left you to kind of deal with it on your own, He actually has never left you. He never leaves you to walk through them by yourself. And that's a pretty cool message. And this is a pretty cool mom. The mom that we're going to look at today is named Hannah. If you're familiar with the story of Hannah, you know that she goes on to become the mother of Samuel. And if you know his story, Samuel's a great priest, a great prophet, a great judge, a great leader within the nation of Israel. So right out of the gate this morning, you already know, her story is going to turn out really, really well, but it doesn't start that way. It starts in hardship. It starts in difficulty. It starts in pain. It starts even in a perceived loneliness. And I say that because it begins in barrenness. It begins with an inability to have children, which may be another way that you might be able to relate to her today. That's a Mother's Day issue too. Well, listen up. She has things to say to you as well. It begins in a barrenness that doesn't just last for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. It lasts for years and years and years and years and years and years years in which her husband, as we'll see an example of here today, just doesn't quite understand her. Like he's not fully getting why it's such a big deal to her. I mean, he knows it's a big deal, but honey, aren't I enough to you? And he does things trying to make it better, that only make it worse. There's a loneliness in that. And there was a loneliness also in the reality that this woman, no doubt, cried out to God, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son. How many times do you think over those years and years and years and years and years? Hundreds? Thousands? And what was his answer, at least from her perspective here on planet Earth? No, it seemed like there was no answer. And yet, what is the lesson? Well, it's that motherhood's hard. Yeah, Tom, we got that part. We didn't need to come for that. But don't miss the rest. Motherhood is hard, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to a God who redeems all of its hardships, who takes them and makes something good of them. And not only that, who never, even though it seems like it at times, he never leaves you alone in the midst of them. Hannah's story begins in barrenness, and barrenness in her day was even worse, and this is going to be difficult for some of you to believe, it was even worse then than it is today. And I say that, and we'll just use Hannah as the example. I say that because when you were barren, not only were you denied the ability to have children, which desperately you wanted to do, but in addition to that, you were then kind of scorned by a lot of the people in the community who kind of looked to you and sort of came with the message of, what did you do to cause God to curse you so that you were struck barren? I mean, Hannah is a really godly woman. So, you know, I'm wondering what's on her list. You know, does she lay awake at night going, Hey, Lord, you know, was it the time that I failed to return that book on time in the library? I mean, was it the time that I used my lunch money to do this instead? Was it the time that I spoke disrespectfully to my mom? I mean, what did I do to deserve this? What a horrible message. And worse than that, A woman's ability to have children really was tied to her value, to her husband. In other words, if if you couldn't produce a son, well, you just weren't worth much in that culture. In fact, Hannah's barrenness required, in some sense, her husband to go out and marry another woman. Think about that. And why is that? Well, it's not just because you needed children to work the farm. I mean, you could get servants for that, but it's it's because you needed an heir. Or you needed a son to inherit the farm. You know, it had been passed down father to son, 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 going all the way back to like Joshua. And now we get to this man Elkanah, husband of Hannah, and it ain't happening. So he goes out and he marries this other woman. Her name is Panina, and with her he has both sons. That's plural. And daughters, that's plural, while Hannah is languishing in barrenness. That tells you that she languished a long time, long enough for her and Elkanah to try try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And finally, throw their hands up in the air and go, okay, we need some help. Go to this doctor. No, that doesn't work. Go to this doctor. No, that doesn't work. How about this specialist? How about that? I heard about this remedy. We're going to try this and that doesn't work and so on and so forth until finally they give up, or at least he clearly gives up because he goes out and he finds this other wife and with whom he then has sons and daughters. How long of a time period is all that? Boy, it's a lot of years. This is a tough deal. And to make it even worse, this whole arrangement now with the second wife introduces into their home a lot of dysfunction, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to figure out why. I mean, Elkanah suddenly is a guy who has a wife that he loves but who can't give him children, and a wife he only married because the wife that he loves could not give him children. So a wife that he loves and a wife of utility. She knows why she's there. She's the unloved wife. And what happens in the family is this dynamic where the loved and yet barren wife is resentful, is jealous, is envious, is bitter, is angry about the ability of the unloved wife to produce children. And the unloved wife has to deal with the reality that she's the unloved wife. And the only reason she's there is because the first woman couldn't give children. So they don't get along real well. And Elkanah is a guy... Who takes a lot of long camel rides all by himself? That's my guess. And Hannah is a woman who lives for years in suffering and perceived loneliness. I say perceived because, again, what's the lesson? It's motherhood is hard, but through Christ you belong to a God who redeems the hardships and never leaves you alone. In the midst of them, even if that's the way it looks, sounds, feels, and seems. And at no time of her year... Was Hannah's suffering more intense than when the family all packed their bags and got all their stuff together to make their annual journey to Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was located, the place where sacrifices of worship were to be made to the Lord their God and then made that trip together? That was like the worst time of year for her, and not just for her, but for some of the animals on the farm, because the deal is they would bring bulls, they would bring goats, they would bring lambs, the choicest, the best, the most perfect. If you were a farm animal, you didn't want to make this trip because you didn't get to come home at the end of your journey, you were slaughtered and you were consumed in flame. And if you were an Israelite who, like Hannah, was raised doing this, you understood some things about worship and sacrifice that will help us not only understand her, but that, frankly, just we ought to know. And that is that worship involves sacrifice. Worship is not something you come to to receive. It's something you come to to give. Worship involves the sacrifice of our best. You know, they didn't kind of walk around the farm and go, Ah, we got like a sick little lamb over here. Let's get him, let, let, give him to the Lord. You know, that's not going to cost us anything. It's the costly stuff they brought. They understood that the sacrifices that they made to God belonged to God holy, and that they were irretrievably given. Again, the animals they brought... Never made the return trip. And I point that out to you kind of as we get into this story a little bit because in a minute you're going to see Hannah offer a sacrifice that is frankly far more precious to her than a bull or a goat or a lamb. She is going to come to the Lord her God and she is going to give to Him her long-awaited for, long-prayed for, long-tearfully cried out for son. And you've got to go, wait a minute. How in the world does this mom get to that point in life? And do you know what the answer is? Because it's redemptive it's hardship, it's difficulty, it's pain, it's tears, it's perceived loneliness. See, what you're going to see happen in this story is that you're going to see that the pain that God has sovereignly allowed, sovereignly ordained, sovereignly caused in this woman's life, year upon year upon year upon year, is finally going to produce the fruit that God has allowed it all of these years for the purpose of producing. Previously, Hannah went up year after year to pray this prayer to God. God, give me a son. This year, different story. This year, she goes up and she says, God, give me a son that I might give him to you. Use me to give you a son. That is a radical difference. It's huge. It's enormous. You see, I think when we're truthful, the reality is that our goal is to get God to do for us what we want God to do for us. God's goal is to get us to do for him What he wants us to do for him, and and the irony in all of that, is that that is the place of blessing. It's not in my will, it's in his. That's the place of joy. It's not found in my wisdom, it's in his. That's the place of fulfillment. That's the place of meaning. That's the place of satisfaction. It's when you come to God and you recognize him as the great treasure that he is, and how absolutely everything else pales in comparison to it, including your own life and the value of it, and even your kids' which you just instinctively treasure like nothing else, and you'd lay down your lives for them. And you say, God, you are more worthy to me than anything God give to me that I might give back to you. Give yourself a child through me. God, take my health and do whatever you want with it. If you give me health, that's great. Do that for your glory. If you cause me to suffer on, Do that for your glory. Use me to bring forth what you want to bring forth. Instead of praying for your business, God, give me a great business. Start praying, God, give yourself a great business. And if you're willing, I'm in on the deal. Like, I mean, I'll be the guy to do it for you, but do that. God, give me money. No, no, no. Give yourself some money and do it through me, Lord, and so forth. Our goal is to get God to do for us what we want God to do for us. God's goal is to get us to do for Him what He wants us to do for Him. And that's the place of blessing. And how does He often bring us to that place? Hardship. Difficulty. He uses those things to bring us to a place of total surrender. Motherhood is hard But through faith in Jesus, you belong to a God who redeems all of its hardships, eternally so, and who, even though it seems like it at times, doesn't leave you alone in the midst of them. So Hannah and her family travel to Shiloh each year to worship the Lord with their many sacrifices, Penina and her whole host of children, Hannah and her, well, no children at all. And every year, Elkanah, the husband, would try to kind of, because, you know, I mean, he understood this was a difficult deal. He would try to kind of make things better for Hannah, but he would only make them worse because the way that he did it is he would show openly before the whole family his favoritism to this woman, the loved wife. And he did it at the sacrificial meals. He would give her a double portion of the meals. To everybody else, they get a single portion. What is he saying? He's saying, you people wouldn't be here if this woman could only give me children, Now, that's not a very exciting message if you're Hannah either, is it? And it's not a very exciting message to the rest of the group. He's saying, I love this woman, this other woman, she's the wife of utility. So what do you think happened? Well, the wife of utility would get upset and she would then take the barrenness of Hannah and rub it in her face. It's the only card she had to play and she knew how to play it well. There'd been a lot of years of practice at this point. So the women now would get upset. Elkanah would be like mystified by the whole thing, not able to figure it out for whatever reason, which just shows you that we don't always get it. And then he would get on his camel and he would leave, and Hannah would go to the temple or at least that's where she went as we pick up her story. In this particular occasion, first Samuel 1, verse 9. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh at one of these sacrificial meals, and Hannah had gotten the double portion, and Peninnah had gotten all upset, and Hannah and Peninnah had gotten into it, and Peninnah had thrown his hands up in the air and went, I don't understand it, and left on his camel. What happened now? Hannah rose, and she went to the temple, and then we read this. It says, now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she Hannah was deeply distressed. She was bitter of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. And what the biblical writer here is doing is he's taking her bitterness, if you will, and it's making he's making it almost like that of a liquid. He's portraying it as being a liquid that's contained within the basin of her soul that she's pouring out through her prayers and her tears to the Lord. It's very graphic. It's something you can understand if you've been there. So she was deeply distressed. She was bitter of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly, pouring out all of this to the Lord. And she vowed a vow, and it's a vow of total surrender. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me. And I love that phrase, remember me. I think there's a sense in which she's giving her whole life over to the Lord here, maybe in a way that she's never done. She's saying, hey, you know what? In some sense, I'm like Humpty Dumpty. I am fractured in ways that I've tried to fix and it hasn't worked. And my husband has tried to fix and it hasn't worked. And, and my family and friends have tried them. specialists have tried to fix, and everybody has tried to fix for me. And what I've realized is that no one can take my various members, which in reality are laid out all over the place, and remember me but you. So I'm bringing myself to you such as I am, because all the king's horses and all the king's men have failed me. She says, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, put me back together and make me whole and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then what? I will love him and protect him, keep him all to myself and be forever thankful that you finally gave me what I wanted you to give me. It's not what she says. She says, then I will sacrifice him. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head, which just basically means I will dedicate him to the Lord from birth. And remember that Hannah knows what a sacrifice involves. She knows that it's worship. That's worship when you take your child and say, Okay, Lord, your child. It's worship when you take your business and say, You know what? Your business. It's worship when you take your family, your family. When God gives you and breaks you to the point where you stop saying, give to me for me, and you start saying, Lord, what, what do you want me to use me to do? What do you want me to give to you? This is worship. Sacrifice is a part of worship, and you worship the Lord by sacrificing your best, not your dregs, not your leftovers, not what you have left, not what you can afford to You sacrifice, and when you do, it belongs entirely to the Lord. It's His to do what He wants with. That's scary. That's giving over control, a control that you really don't have anyway. And when you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, it's irrevocable, it's irretrievable. She's saying to the Lord in a sense, hey, listen, if you give me a son, here's the deal. I'm going to give him back to you. Translation. Next time I come to the tabernacle to worship, I'm going to bring bulls and goats and lambs and all that business that we usually bring, and I'm going to bring this son, and I'm going to give him to you as well. I'm going to drop him off at the temple, and he's going to serve you for all of his days. And so, what has God done through her hardships? He's used them to bring her to a place of total surrender a place in which she is like Abraham. She's taking her one and only son, her long-awaited-for son, that most precious thing that you would trade everything in favor of, wouldn't you? And she's saying here, Lord, you're my treasure, and, and you are more valuable to me even than he is. And what's interesting to me is that no sooner does she make her vow, than is it both tested and affirmed. Fascinating. She's immediately given insight into the spiritual sort of mindset and capabilities or incapabilities, as it turns out, of the man that she's going to drop him off with. It says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the high priest of Israel, the one that she's going to drop him off with eventually, and by the way, who is notoriously famous for having two incredibly wicked sons. I mean, when you're looking for someone to raise your child, he's probably not real high on the list. And he demonstrates in some sense as to maybe why that's the case. He observes her mouth, it says, and Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her, her voice was not heard and therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. He mistakes her piety for wickedness, her prayerfulness for drunkenness. He totally misreads the situation and then he rebukes her. He says, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you, woman. What's the matter with you? But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. That's not what's happening here. That's not who I am. I'm a woman troubled in spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I'll tell you what I have taken in. I have drunk to the full the cup of bitterness that the Lord God has given me to drink, and it has produced in me that which he gave it to me to drink, to produce. She says, and I have been pouring out my soul in prayer and in tears before the Lord to not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, and this is the encouraging part, because he gives her a prophetic word. Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And it seems as though she receives it as an answer to her prayer, because it says, then the woman, Hannah, went her way, and ate in her face, was no longer sad. And God granted her request, and we know that, for we then read that they, Hannah, Elkanah, and Well, yes, Penina and her many children rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord and then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord, what? Remembered her. He took that which was broken and he made it whole. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, which means heard of God, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord." Why? So that she might get something from God? Now, not that time. She went to the temple that time with a different disposition. She asked of him so that she might give something to God, the most precious thing she had to give. And then we read in verse 24, and when she weaned him, and I want you to kind of figure this out, he's like three or four years old. Three or four. This is not a college student. He's not like 18, he's grown up in her house, she's been able to pour into him all of these years, still nervous, still freaking out but somebody that she's going to drop off with a car and a credit card and a cell phone and a computer. She can Skype every day, multiple times with, text message. Three or four years old. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, probably about the same age and an ephah of a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. emphatic. And then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child as well in sacrifice to the Lord. They took him to Eli. And they left him with him. No, they didn't. They left him with God. Pretty powerful. And she said to Eli, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman. Now, you hear joy in that, don't you? There's like excitement. Oh, my Lord, she says, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence. You remember? The one you misread, but then also gave a prophetic word to? Praying to the Lord for this child, this... This little guy, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, and therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he, meaning Elkanah, her husband, so the dad's in on the deal, worshiped the Lord there. Unless you think that Hannah was bitter or reluctant If you just read the next 10 verses, she's like Mary in so many ways. But the next 10 verses record a song of worship and of praise to the Lord. And so what's the moral of the story? Because I I can tell you what it isn't. It's not that you're supposed to take your firstborn son and bring him to the pastor. Okay, so just don't do that. I know that's tempting, Um, but that's not the deal. And it's not that you can go about making deals with God. You know, hey, God, if you give me a Ferrari, wink, wink, I'll promise to drive it to church every Sunday. (laughs) Now, I may just drive through the parking lot, but that's not it either. I think at least it is that motherhood, and for that matter, life, it's not just a Mother's Day message. I hope you realize that. Motherhood and life is hard. So how many of you needed to come to church to figure that out? Nobody over 10. And many under 10 already know, too. Motherhood in life is hard, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to a God who redeems all of the hardships. He does it in His timing. He does it in His way. He does it in a way that extends into eternity, way beyond what we can see And appreciate with the naked eye, but we can see and behold by the eye of faith. And how does he does it? How does he do it, rather? He does it by using our hardships to bring us to a state of total surrender, to break us from the addiction that we have of coming to God and saying, God, I need you to do this for me. And to reshape our whole thinking to where we're coming to God and saying, you know what, hey, God, what can I do for you? And to help us to see that it's that, it's there that blessing is found. That's the place of fulfillment. So, I want to close with this question. How does God want to redeem your suffering? What does He want to do? Whether that's motherhood or otherwise, you know, who or what does He want you to lay down in sacrifice? Finally. To him and hand it over to the greater treasure who lives forever and who forever can do things with it. And it may be a child, yeah? He or she is out of your control anyway. Maybe it is your business. Maybe it is your marriage. You need to surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do in and through me through this marriage? A difficult marriage. Maybe it's being single. And you need to hand that to God. Maybe it's your reputation, a dream, a goal. You know, it's, it's living in Fort Lauderdale. It's moving out of Fort Lauderdale. It's What is it? What does God want you to lay down? Because I would encourage you to lay it down. Hand it over to the Lord that He might do great things with it. Motherhood and life is hard. But through faith in Jesus, you belong to a God who takes those hardships and brings great things from them. And contrary to what you might think, he doesn't leave you alone in the midst of them.